Now, before we proceed with this episode, I do have something important that I need to share with everybody. As you guys know, about two years ago, I did a sketch comedy show called The Going Live Show. And while I was on the show, I worked with a very talented cast and became friends with practically every cast member on the show. And one friend that I had in particular, her name was Tata Sharice. Now, if you watch The Going Live Show, you know who Tata is. She was basically um, the public defender. That was her uh, main gimmick on the uh, show. That was the main character she played, and she did that quite a few times. And if you saw the um, Hood Exorcist sketch, uh, she played the mother in the sketch. Like, I played the, uh, the priest that was trying to, you know, get the demon out of her son in the sketch. Uh, she played the mom, and I played the priest going, the power of Christ compels you. Like, that was me. Well, sadly, this past Christmas Eve, uh, Tata Sharice was carjacked at gunpoint while coming home from a comedy show. Now, the good news is she is not hurt physically. The bad news is her car was stolen and the merchandise that she sells after shows was stolen as well. And she currently has a GoFundMe page set up to help her raise the money that she needs to get a new car and order more merch so she can, you know, get back to selling merch and get out there performing. And what I'm going to do is I am going to read the synopsis of her GoFundMe page to further illustrate what she's looking for rather than try to paraphrase phrase it. So this is on her GoFundMe page. Hey y'all, so I got carjacked. I'm no stranger to obstacles or overcoming tough times, but what recently happened to me was something I really wasn't prepared for. I was carjacked at gunpoint by two men on Christmas Eve coming home from a show. Comedy is now the majority of my income, so my car was very important to me because it's how I get to most shows. Also, all of my Tata Sharice merchandise was in the trunk of my car, which is another big part of my income. I'm blessed to be alive. I do about five to 10 shows a month and I'm really grinding. I don't plan to give up at all, but I'm creating this GoFundMe to help speed things up so I can get back to doing what I love and bring joy to others. Anything that anybody can contribute would be greatly appreciated and used to go towards a car and to replace my merchandise that I sell at shows. I appreciate the support and my spirit has not been broken. Thank you for the love that people have already showed me and anything further helps. I just entered year six of my stand-up comedy career and it has been an incredible journey. I've hit amazing milestones and so far I've performed in over 200 shows nonstop, but I can't let this sit situation slow me down. And as I mentioned before, Tata Sharice is a friend of mine. I've worked with her before. She is hilariously funny and a tremendous talent. And I am encouraging all of the Boochcast fans to donate money to Tata Sharice's GoFundMe to help her get back on her feet, get back on the road, and get back to doing what she does best. So from now until the GoFundMe page is completed, I am going to be putting the link to her GoFundMe page on every single Boochcast episode going forward inside the synopsis so you can use it to go there and do whatever you can to help her out. I will also be providing links on the Boochcast social media pages so you can access them there as well. So go to the link, donate what you can, and help Tata Sharice get back to bringing joy and laughter to the world.
What's up everybody? This is Vinny Bucci, aka The Booch, and welcome to the recap of AEW and New Japan Pro Wrestling presents Forbidden Door 2023. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, before I get into this show, I'm going to start off by stating something that at this point, it's blatantly fucking obvious. And it's to the point where I'm not even going to do the singing that I normally do or the bits that I normally do. I'm just going to vent for a little bit and then I'm going to jump into this recap. But once again, I am alone recapping AEW. And to be brutally honest, I'm fucking pissed now. And I believe at this point, I have every right to be pissed off about it because I have been patient. I have been understanding. I have shown remorse and I have tried. I have fucking tried to be as accommodating as human possible with the fact that Gator has no-showed multiple AEW episodes. Every time he tells me, I'm gonna be here, everything's fine, something always comes the fuck up. Whether he has to go to the school because the students want to do a Wednesday class. Or he had a family tragedy, which I actually felt bad about. I did, and I still do. And I'm understanding of that situation. So I'm not really upset about that. In fact, if that was the only time Gator had missed an episode, I probably wouldn't even be bitching this much. But it's the fact that before this family incident that I'm not going to bring up, because it's his decision whether or not he wants to, he had missed so many episodes prior to that and was not able to watch Forbidden Door because he wanted me to send him the link, the special treats, which I did. And he's like, the link's not working. So now I got to try to find him another one. And I'm watching this at Elvis's house where the Wi-Fi is shit. So now I got to find a way to get on his Wi-Fi so I can actually get something going and then finally clicks a few things and finally try to send him a link. But every link appears to not be fucking working. So I finally just went, fuck it. I'm going to do it myself like I always do. So once again, Gator has to no show because he can't be bothered to go find a bootleg link by himself. I have to be the one that fucking provides it. For some reason, he can't be bothered to search the fucking internet. That is too much work for Gator Ricky Ross. And that's why I have finally reached my fucking boiling point. So, this is what I'm going to do going forward. I now have a solution. I have not spoken to Gator about this, but I'm sure over the next couple days, he's going to call me and we're going to have this conversation. Or, he's going to hear this, he's going to get pissed off, and we'll have a different conversation. I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. All I know is this. From now on, I am no longer going to ask Gator if he's going to show up for the AEW recaps. Like, we got Dynamite coming up this Wednesday. Basically, this is what I'm going to do. When Dynamite goes off the air, I'm going to wait about anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes, depending on the mood that I'm in that day. And if by that time, Gator does not call me, I'm just going to fucking record. That's just what I'm going to do. I am no longer going to track Gator down to see if he wants to do AEW. Because at this point, I don't think he really does. And I have dealt with this for so long. And like I said, I've been patient. I've been understanding. And I get it. Shit happens in life. But when shit happens over and 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 over again, after a certain point, you can't tolerate it anymore. You can only tolerate it for so long and then you're over it. And I'm fucking over it. I'm over it to the point where I'm seriously considering just looking for a new AEW correspondent and just letting Gator come in for pay-per-view reviews. Because deep down, those are the only segments he really enjoys doing. I don't think his heart is even in recapping AEW. So, I don't know what the fuck's gonna happen. And quite frankly, at this point, I don't fucking care. If he shows up, he shows up. If he doesn't, he doesn't. Either way, I'm getting the job done. And with that said, we're now gonna jump in to Forbidden Door. And we kick things off with our first official match of the evening for the AEW World Heavyweight Championship, MJ. JF defends the title against Hiroshi Tanahashi. Okay. First off, you already know the big pet peeve that I have here. A world heavyweight title is the opening match on the show. Now, Elvis tried to justify this by telling me that he thinks MJF doesn't want to sit here all night because he hates New Japan and doesn't think the New Japan fans or the New Japan wrestlers are worth his time, so he probably wants to get out as fast as possible, which I would believe if this match didn't go so damn long. So... 
while Elvis might make a valid point, I still have a pet peeve with the fact that the World Heavyweight Champion is opening the fucking show. Especially when the World Heavyweight Champion is one of only a small group of people in the fucking company that is even worth watching. But of course, this is a company where the EVPs live in a fantasy world where people want to see them as the main attraction. They so desperately want to be taken seriously as main event players when none of them are main event players. They are not fit to carry MJF's bags into the fucking locker room, but yet they want to go on later in the show. That being said, I will say this was a very good match. MJF dictated the pace throughout, and that's what made it work. Because you know with MJF, he's not going to allow a whole lot of fuckery. He lets in just enough fuckery to get the baby face over, but not enough to where it makes the match look like a fucking joke. And this match was far from a fucking joke. These guys were hard hitting. Everything they did was believable. Nothing was stupid. And, and you actually saw selling from a New Japan wrestler. Except for there were a few instances where Tanahashi no-sold a couple moves. But that's to be expected in New Japan. Because New Japan wrestlers, at least the modern day ones, don't believe in selling. That's why I hate watching New Japan. That's why I hate strong style wrestling. Because they don't sell any moves. They just keep going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. You do a move to me. I do a move to you. Crowd goes fight forever. Which is the dumbest fucking chant in the world. And that happens throughout this whole fucking show. But thankfully we didn't see a lot of that shit here. And in the end, MJF uses the dynamite diamond ring to knock him out, get the pin, and beat the ace of New Japan. So great solid match from both men. MJF did phenomenal and got the win as well he should. Because MJF should not be losing anytime soon. And then we move on to the next match of the evening. A first round match in the Men's Owen Hart Cup Tournament. CM Punk goes one-on-one -on -one against Satoshi Kojima. This is another one of those matches where I'm like, why is this at the beginning of the fucking show? Again, you have a guy who draws more money for AEW than anybody else in the company, including the World Heavyweight Champion, and he's the second match. Punk goes second. Are you fucking kidding me? Who structures this fucking card? Unless CM Punk had somewhere else he needed to be and had to leave early, there is no fucking reason why he is the second match. That is goddamn ridiculous. It's about as ridiculous as the Canada crowd booing CM Punk. But Punk is different from other wrestlers. Like, everybody's acting like, oh, Punk is a heel now. Punk's acting like a heel. No, he's not. CM Punk is not doing a heel turn. And you can tell because he's still teaming up with FTR. They're doing the CMFTR three-man group. And FTR is full of baby faces. So it makes no sense for Punk to turn heel. What Punk does is he's being a bit of a tweener. That's what he's doing. If he knows the fans hate him, he's going to play into that to troll them. But if the fans love him, he'll be a traditional babyface. That's all he's doing. He's not cheating in the matches. He's not cussing anybody out that doesn't need to be cussed. He's basically being himself. He's got kind of a Stone Cold-like character where he does what he wants, when he wants. Anyone who doesn't like it can go touch grass or kick rocks, or fuck off, whatever the phrase is now that people want to use. And this match was very good. Now, Kojima was garbage, but Punk did very well and was able to get a good match out of him. And of course, they were doing the, the chop trading, where they were hitting each other with chops back and forth, which this becomes an ongoing theme throughout the night, and it gets her goddamn ridiculous. And this is a problem that a lot of indie wrestlers do. And I'm saying indie because even though AEW New Japan are not considered indie feds. They walk around with an indie fed mentality, so they might as well just be indie feds. Now, this thing that indie feds do is they see stuff that happens in WWE. They see stuff that happens on TV, and they try to copy it, and they try to implement it, because they think, oh, if the fans loved it in that match, then they'll love it in our match. And that's a stupid fucking mentality to have. Because you can't just recreate shit. You have to have the right story and the right circumstances and the right build. For example, at Clash of the Castle, 
when Gunter and Sheamus had what could very well be a match of the year candidate. They were trading shots back and forth. And Sheamus's chest was getting red and Gunter had a couple of, you know, welts on him as well. The reason that worked is because Gunter is a jacked motherfucker with a great physique. Sheamus is a big jacked motherfucker with a big physique. How many jacked motherfuckers with big physiques did you see on this pay-per-view? I'll answer that question. Fucking zero. There wasn't any. There were no big men in this match, really. The only big men in the match were heavyset fat fucks who happened to be in the match that I'm not going to talk about because it involves the elite. So when you got skinny guys chopping each other or fat guys chopping each other, it doesn't look as good because you don't have the build and you don't have the persona of being strong, muscular motherfuckers. You have the persona of being trampoline spot monkeys. So the chop fight don't look good if you're a skinny fucking twig. It works if you've got some muscle on you. Or if you got really good chops, like a Ric Flair or a Ricky Steamboat. And if you know how to chop properly, which not a lot of people in AEW and New Japan can't do. There's some who know how to chop, but there's a lot who don't, but they do it anyway because they know they're going to get a pop from it. But the pop only lasts so long. You can't just recreate shit just to recreate it because certain things only work in certain circumstances. Because there was a build. There was things that happened within the story to get to the moment where when that happened in the match, it made sense logically. And that's a problem that indie people do when they book shit. They book the move or they book the spot, but they leave out the reason for why that spot is happening. They don't have that extra ingredient that made it good in the WWE. But outside of that, still, I love this match. Why? You know, at one point, Kojima's doing this peck-popping crap. Punk then throws him out of the ring, does the peck-popping crap of his own. Now, granted, CM Punk doesn't really have popping pecs because he's not exactly a muscular guy. But the reason it worked for him was because he was mocking Kojima and trolling the fans who were booing him out of the building because they're fucking dumbass, retarded neckbeards. And of course, he trolled everybody by doing the Hogan taunt where he cups the ear and then he even did a Hogan leg drop. And here's the thing I think is weird though. Apparently, the reason Punk is doing that is because apparently, for some reason, Hogan is hated in Canada. To which I reply, since when? If I remember correctly, at least in 2003, when Hogan made a big comeback, or when he got back, or 2002, when he was the yellow and red for the first time in a long time, I can't remember what year it was, either 02 or 03, Hogan was in the ring wearing the red and yellow, he was in Montreal, Canada, and the crowd was chanting his name, and they were getting so crazy that Hogan basically stood in the ring for like five or six minutes because it took that long for the crowd to stop cheering him. And they were so loud, like Hogan couldn't get his promo out. Finally, he was able to talk once everything died down, but it took a long time for shit to die down. So I don't know what happened in the last 20 years in Canada that made Hogan so hated in that city. Because it can't be because of the racist rant. Are they still holding that grudge? Because if you're still holding that grudge, there's something fucking wrong with you at this point. But I do not recall Toronto, Canada being a place where Hogan was hated. In fact, I remember WrestleMania 18, Toronto, when they were in the Sky Dome. Part of the reason Hogan became a babyface was because they were cheering Hogan like crazy and they booed The Rock. They were actually chanting Rocky sucks for the first time since 1999. So tell me again, why Hogan is hated in Toronto, Canada. And then, of course, they also chanted Pepsi sucks, which that's not really much of a chant. There are some people out there who think Pepsi sucks, especially here in Atlanta, because where the Coca-Cola factory is, so naturally everybody hates fucking Pepsi. I don't. I like Pepsi. I mean, I drink both because I'm a soda guy, but, you know, if I had a choice between Coke or Pepsi, I might go with Pepsi because Pepsi has a sweeter taste, and uh, Pepsi never told me that I needed to be less white, so... 
Pepsi likes me just the way I am, so go Pepsi, I say as I'm about to take a sip of a Coke, because I have no loyalty. So there's intense back and forth action. Eventually, Punk, after multiple attempts, finally hits the go to sleep, gets the one, two, three, and now advances in the tournament, and he will face the winner of Samoa Joe versus Roderick Strong. So one of those two men will face CM Punk in the second round of the Owen Hart Cup tournament. And he celebrates as the crowd is split. There are still fans that are chanting for CM Punk. There are still fans that are booing CM Punk. And Punk showing that he can still go in that ring. He's still the best in the world. And hopefully he can stay healthy and eventually regain the world championship. And then they show a video package of AEW returning to Chicago for the all-out pay-per-view in September. And apparently they're going to be there for Dynamite. They're going to be there for Rampage. I think they're going to do Collision and they're going to do All-Out. But apparently Collision and All-Out will be the United Center, but they're going to do Dynamite from a different building, which is kind of weird. But here's the thing I'm going to find the most intriguing is during that week, or even during that pay-per-view for that matter, are the Elite gonna show up for any of those shows? Are they gonna put Kenny and the Bucks and Adam Page out of that pay-per-view? Because remember, just recently, I think it was this past Wednesday, AEW was in Chicago and the Elite bitched out. They didn't have the fucking balls to go out there in front of that hostile Chicago crowd. And that's the difference between Punk and the Elite. Punk went out to that ring knowing in Canada they were gonna boo him out of the building and he still went out there and embraced it. The Elite were afraid to go into Chicago because they know Chicago fucking hates them almost as much as we here at the Boochcast fucking hate them. So that's going to be the big question I'm going to have. Is the elite going to have the balls to show up at All Out? Are they even going to be booked on the card? Or are they going to sit this pay-per-view out? Sit that whole week out and just go home and be with their families on that day. Like maybe not even be on the card. Which would make sense because All Out is September 3rd and All In is August 27th. Which I believe is the week before. And as we know, All In is set to take place in Wembley Stadium. And I believe that... The Wembley Stadium show should be the one where CMFTR takes on the EVPs. Make that the official match on the card so you can sell sell more tickets to that and have a kick-ass main event. And you can make it one and done and get it out of the way. And then they never have to work together or see each other again. But I think that would be great for All In. And then at All Out, do something else. And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening. We have a fatal four-way match for the AEW International Championship. Championship. Orange Cassidy defends the title against Zack Sabre Jr., Kasarui, Shibata, and Daniel Garcia. This right here was a stellar fucking match. Even Elvis was blown away by this match. And I'll tell you right now, right here and now, the star of this match, the focal point for everyone, the guy who at New Japan deserves a massive push, and if he ever comes to AEW, I'd love to see him get a push here as well. And that is, of course, Zack Sabre Jr. This dude put on just as good of a performance as he did on the Go Home Dynamite. Seriously, this motherfucker killed it. He fucking killed it. I couldn't be more impressed with this guy. He is definitely the future. He was. He had great submission holds. He was really going after Orange Cassidy's injury hand he did very well Shibata also did very well in this match. Now, granted, there were a few times where he did some no-selling moves, which kind of upset me. So Shibata, he's kind of gone down a little bit for me since Dynamite. And of course, Daniel Garcia, he annoyed the crap out of me. Here's a question I want to ask. Maybe there's some uh, old-school WCW fans who can answer this for me. When the fuck did Daniel Garcia become Alex Wright? What's with the goofy fucking dancing? There's a time and a place to do this that shit. Like there were times where he did the dance and it made sense and there was times where he did the dance and it looked fake and phony and fucking stupid. Like at one point, Zach and Shibata are trading chops back and forth. Again, the chop trading shit. Then at one point, Garcia tries to get in the mix. They, they shoo him away like a fly. Then at one point, he punches somebody. Then he does a goofy dance and he gets hit. It's like, what the fuck? Now there were other times where he knocked the guy out of the ring and then he did the goofy dance. Then he turned around and got hit by somebody else. Okay, that worked. Then of course, there's fucking Pockets doing pocket shit the fucking shin kicks and all that bullshit 
Basically, Orange Cassidy was the buzz kill of this whole fucking match. Because the other three guys are actually trying to work. He is doing his same old, same old stupid shit. You've seen it once, you've seen it all. It's goddamn ridiculous. And again, Shibata hits a PK kick. Then Cassidy throws him out of the ring. He rolls up Garcia, gets the one, two, three, and retains his title. And that's when everything fell flat. Before the finish, this was a great match. But here's the shitty finish. Because Orange Cassidy is still the international champion, despite the fact the other three guys in this match clearly proved they are better wrestlers and they are better workers and they are more entertaining than Orange Cassidy. But because Tony Khan still has a hard on for this sad motherfucker, he continues to be champion because that's what AEW does. They appeal to the bubble and not the actual fans. And the more Orange Cassidy retains, the harder it is for me to get emotionally invested in this company because what other reason would you have to have him keep this championship? It's goddamn ridiculous at this point. It's almost like I'm not, I might invoke the elite rule on Orange Cassidy now because I see no hope in him ever losing this championship. So I'm probably going to throw pockets in the mix. That's what I'm going to do. I'm invoking the elite rule on Orange Cassidy now. I'm going to skip his matches because until he loses this international championship, I can't get behind it. I just can't. I'm done. I'm fucking done. I have nothing nice to say about this guy. So why keep recapping about him? And on that note, we move on to the next match of the evening for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship. Sonata defends the title against Jungle Boy Jack Perry. Okay, here we go. We got at least five more matches to go on this card. And the IWGP World Heavyweight title is not even close to the main event or at least semi-main event. Again, if you don't take your world champion seriously, how the fuck do you expect the rest of us to take them seriously? The world title is supposed to be the most prestigious title in wrestling. In AEW, the world title should be the top title. In New Japan, the IWGP title is the top title. That means... Everybody who gets in that company should want that title to prove you're the best and to make the most money. That's the kayfabe world of wrestling when it comes to the title. You want to be the world champion and you should settle for nothing less unless it's a title you can't realistically get to. Now, there are some cases where people get United States titles and tag team titles along the way, but it's because the world title at that stage in their career was not within their grasp. But if you have the option to go for the world title and you don't take that option, you're a fucking mark. And in the kayfabe world of wrestling, you look like a fucking idiot because you're passing up the ultimate opportunity. So why is this in the middle of the card? Oh, that's right, because the other matches appeal to the marks and the belts don't mean anything anymore. Anyway, that being said, we get into the match. This was, I'll be honest, not really special. The whole time, all I'm thinking is, Jungle Boy does not deserve this title shot. And I laughed at the fact that, you know, Taz and everybody was talking about Sonata being disrespectful, saying that Jack Perry didn't deserve a shot at this title. He fucking doesn't. Jungle Boy is a prime example of how you can go from good to bad to worse in the span of a few months. This guy went from having a great emotional story at Revolution to being one of the most undeserving pillars in all of wrestling. Jungle Boy went from being the guy that I thought could carry this company to a guy that I'm surprised hasn't gotten his fucking pink slip yet. Now, like I said, they had a fairly decent match. Some of the stuff looked great. Other stuff looked phony as hell. But again, that's to be expected when you're in the ring with New Japan people. They traded moves, traded shots. You know, it was decent back and forth action, but nothing really special and in the end Sonata ends the whole damn thing with a moonsault press even though he has other devastating moves that should have been the fucking finish but weren't the fucking finish because everybody needs to fight forever and in the end Sonata retains the title as well he should because I don't see Jungle Boy going to New Japan anytime soon 
Sonata heads up the ramp to celebrate as Hook checks on Perry in the rank as Hook was in Jungle Boy's corner. They head up the ramp. Hook raises the hand to Perry and all of a sudden he lays him out with a lariat. The crowd Toronto is livid by this as Jungle Boy taunts him, holds up the FTW title, drops it beside Hook and heads to the back. Now, I personally did not see that coming. Elvis, on the other hand, saw this shit coming a mile away. And I wish Elvis was here to share his thoughts, but unfortunately he could couldn't join in on this recap because he has to get up early to go to work tomorrow. And since I have the ability to sleep in, that's why I'm up right now doing this by myself. But the reason I didn't see it coming was because even though I felt Jungle Boy needed to turn heel, especially with the unprofessional way that he behaved at that fan convention, and the fact that he has proven through interviews that he is not a likable person outside the ring, and basically doesn't have the fucking passion for professional wrestling that a babyface in his position should have. I mean, even if you don't, fake it in public. So yeah, he should be a heel at this point. Because now he can be a prick and it doesn't hurt his gimmick as much. Because, like I said, once you're revealed to be unlikable to the public, it's hard to be a clean-cut babyface when it's blatantly obvious you're a douchebag. And Jungle Boy, through his actions outside the ring, has shown he's a fucking douchebag. So it makes sense. And who knows, maybe this will lead to him becoming the FTW champion. And Jungle Boy can dick around with that belt. Because I like Hook, but he hasn't really been doing much with that belt. So maybe they put it on Jungle Boy. He can do something with it until they're ready to give him a real title. And now we're going to skip the uh, next match here because it involves the uh, Cancer Cells against the Blackpool Combat Club and all the stupid bullshit that went into that match. So now we're going to go to the match after that for the AEW Women's Championship. Tony Storm defends the title against Willow Nightingale. This was surprisingly a good match. It was. Both these women did a good job, which surprised me because I'm not the biggest Willow Nightingale fan in the world. Um, although I do like her a little bit, but I would not consider myself a fan. I know other, you know, people can't stand her. Gator doesn't like her very much. Uh, I don't think she's deserving of that New Japan Power Championship. I don't think Willow Nightingale is ready to be a champion. I really don't. But then again, I don't run New Japan, nor do I watch it, so I don't really give a fuck what they do over there. But she definitely did not deserve to be the AEW Women's Champion. And I'm glad that Tony Storm, that ass Tony Storm, was able to retain. And I like the fact that she hit the Storm Zero to get the pin and the win. I like the fact that um, Tony drags the ref in front of her to stop her momentum before going for the pin and the win. I like that. And then, of course, the outcasts come out and celebrate while Sky Blue and Britt Baker are watching on from backstage. Uh, and, of course, Britt is watching because she has a women's Owen Hart Cup first round match against Ruby Soho coming up. So that's why she's watching to kind of get a stare down on Ruby Soho. Sky Blue is staring down because obviously she's part of the uh, group that's going against the outcasts. But like I said, this is a great women's match and I was surprised. But they did a very, very good job. Tony Storm showing that she can pull a good match out of anybody, even Willow Nightingale. And then after that, we skip this next match because it's, uh, you know, it's Kenny Beta, you know, so he's part of the elite rule. So skip the U.S. title match. Don't give a single fuck. And we move on to the next match of the evening, the trios tag match. We have Le Suzuki God versus Sting, Darby Allen, and Tessua Naito. Now, last time when we spoke about Dynamite, we didn't know who the third person was going to be for Sting and Darby Allen because they said they would reveal it on Collision. Now, obviously, when we talk about Dynamite this coming Wednesday, I will hit the highlights regarding Collision during that episode. But I do have to talk about this one segment because it pertains to this match where Tony Schiavone was in the ring promoting Forbidden Door. Darby Allen and Sting come out. Chris Jericho comes out with Suzuki as well. And they taunt the fans and they're basically trying to say, you know, that they want to know who the third person is. And, you know, Jericho talks about how people think he's a hometown hero, but he said, I'm not from Toronto. I'm from Winnipeg, you idiots. Basically making fun of the ongoing meme that's been on the internet for years where when Jericho and Big Show were wrestling in a world heavyweight title triple threat match, uh, at one point they were double teaming this guy and, and someone yelled at Jericho, go 
back to Toronto. And he turned to the fan and goes, I'm from Winnipeg, you idiot. So now Jericho's trolling the fans because again, the average AEW fan is a fucking smart mark. So you can do smart mark insider shit with those fans because they're all in on the work. And that's why a lot of the wrestlers don't take kayfabe and psychology seriously. They think, well, we all know it's a work, so let's just do reckless, silly, stupid shit and we'll all shit on the business together. So then Sting and Darby come out and Darby Allen says, you know, Jericho, you know this guy very well because he kicked your ass in the Tokyo Dome and also said that he would kick Sammy Guevara's ass if he decided to show up because Sammy G was not on collision, but he did show up for the trios match that I'm going to get into in just a moment. And then they revealed Naito and then Jericho looked a little bit scared because he did wrestle Naito in the Tokyo Dome back when Jericho was working mostly with New Japan before he signed with AEW. And then Jericho's on the Naito and then he leaves the ring and walks off as Sting, Darby, and Naito stare him down. So that was the opening to Collision. Now, obviously, the rest of the highlights of Collision we'll get into on the Dynamite recap, but I had to bring this up to explain all of this. So now we get into the match itself. And the match itself was fun. It was a good match. Jericho did very well. Him and Sting had great exchanges in the match. Um, everybody timed everything very well. Suzuki did a great job. Naito did okay. He was kind of a little over the place. Sammy G being Sammy G. Um, you know, the re- doing the reckless spot monkey crap. So Sammy was not as fun to watch. Neither was Naito. But everybody else in the match was able to do their part and make it interesting. Darby Allen, not quite as crazy and reckless as he used to be. He kind of dialed it back a little bit, which I enjoyed. But of course, Jericho and Stan were the big highlights in this match because it was the first time we saw those two together in the ring. And Sting stops a sleeper hold, dropping Suzuki as Naito catches him for the pin and the win. So Sting, Darby, and Naito win the match, but it was Naito who pinned Suzuki to get the win. And I'm going to be honest, if the baby faces were going to win this match, that was the best way to do it. Have the New Japan guys pin each other. Because then you can keep building Jericho and Sammy G against Sting and Darby Allen. Because it can be like, hey, you didn't beat us. So now you can have the tag team guys fight each other to build towards the eventual breakup between Jericho and Sammy G, which will lead to Jericho and Sammy G eventually fighting each other one-on-one. And what you can do is maybe build it up to All In in Wembley Stadium and have that big tag match. Jericho and Sammy versus Sting and Darby Allen. And then after the match, Sting and Darby can go over and you have Jericho and Sammy, they finally break up. And then at All Out, you can have Chris Jericho one-on-one against Sammy Guevara. And if you want to build a program out of it, you can. Or you can just have Sammy beat Jericho at All Out and officially walk away from the Jericho Appreciation Society. So that's one option. Or you can break them up sooner and have Jericho and Sting go one-on-one in Wembley Stadium. That's another option. And then maybe at All Out, you can have Jericho versus Punk. You can build to that. Or, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I know a lot of things are close together. I don't know how you would build stuff far out. But I'm just spitballing right now. And I'll be honest, it's 2.22 in the morning. So some of my ideas might not be making as much sense, but I'm doing the best I can. And on that note, we're going to move on to the main event of the evening. We got Brian Danielson one-on-one against Kazuchika Okada. Now, a lot of people were saying this is a dream match. And to an extent, it is. And I'll be honest, this match was fucking great. It was. Both these men did very well. Brian Danielson doing straight up wrestling here. Okada doing a little bit of wrestling, but also doing some New Japan strong style, no sell bullshit. So there was a bit of that going on. But at least Brian Danielson did his best to keep it a wrestling match as much as possible. So I give him props for that. I will say the biggest problem with this match was that it was the main event. Not just because there were no titles on the line, which is a reason why I don't like that it was a main event. But at this point, it is almost fucking midnight. So the crowd is not as excited for this match as they should be. But it's not because the match stunk up the joint. It's because they're tired as 
fuck most of them because this is an ongoing problem that AEW has with their pay-per-views and I've seen this a lot on indie shows as well and that's why I keep referring to them as indie feds because they're making indie mistakes and that is too many fucking matches not only that they're too fucking long all of them if you're gonna have a bunch of matches that need to go 20, 25, 30 minutes, go an insane length, then only have a couple matches on the card. A pay-per-view shouldn't last longer than three hours. We do not need a four-hour show. We do not need to go till fucking midnight, especially on a goddamn Sunday. This is the problem that AEW has. People have to go to work. See, the wrestlers don't have to worry about going to work. Once the pay-per-view is done, their work is done. They can get up the next morning whenever they want, unless they have to catch a plane. But even then, you can sleep in the airport. You can take a little nap till it's time to board the plane. Hell, you can take a nap on the plane. And then when you get off the plane, you get your bags, you get in your fucking Uber, or you have somebody pick you up or whatever, you rent a car, and you can go home. Because you don't do any house shows, to my knowledge. So they can literally fly back home and sit there till it's time to go back for the next show. But the point is, those fans in the stands, they actually have to get up in the morning. And a lot of them, depending on their job, have to get up super early. So that means if you want to go to an AEW pay-per-view, you got to do one of two things. You either have to request the next day off so you can get some fucking sleep, or you got to gut it out when you get to work. Now, if you work an afternoon, evening job, that's different because you'll get to sleep in and then get up. But if you work the morning shift, you're fucked. You're fucked. Like I said, there's a reason Elvis isn't doing this recap with me, and that's because he has to get up early to go to work. It's also why Desmond... If he was still part of the show, he wouldn't have been joining me for this recap. Because he has to get up early and go to work. I'm one of the few people that will actually gut it out. I've done it before. There are times where I've done Boochcast episodes and only got X amount of hours of sleep and then got up and drove to Home Depot or drove to Lowe's. Back when I worked in retail and I had to work early morning shifts, I would get up to go to work and I would only get X amount of hours of sleep. And there may come a day where I have to do that again. Not for retail, but if I get a different job somewhere. See, right now, for what I do, I don't have to get up at a set time. I can start work whenever, as long as I get the work done. But eventually, if I get on a set schedule, I'm going to have days where I'm going to be dragging ass. Why? Because I got to stay up early to do these fucking recaps so I can get these out on time for you guys to listen to. So I want you to understand, that's the amount of work I put into these shows. I'm usually up till like 3, 4, sometimes 5 o'clock in the morning getting these done. Hell, right now it is 2.30 in the morning, 2.31, just literally turned 2.31 right now at the time that I'm recording this. My computer says 2.31 a.m., 6.26.2023, and I'm only recording, so I God only knows what time it'll be when I'm done editing all this and putting all the stuff together and uploading it and putting it on the internet for you guys to listen to. So just understand, the booch is putting a lot of work in here. But again, you don't need that many matches. Eight is the maximum for what you need. And you should have only your big important matches be long. Your opening match should be no longer than 10 minutes and it should be just people you don't really need. But guys that can set the tone and start strong. But your world champions should be way later in the show. Because they should be your main event. Because your world champion should be the guy who's drawing money. If your world champion is not a star that draws money, he shouldn't be your world heavyweight champion. Because that's who the world title was designed for. It was not designed for the best technical wrestler. That was usually the mid-card title. The world title is for the guy who generates the most revenue. Who puts Asses in seats. A guy you can build your company around. If you put him on the marquee, people will pay money to see him. And that's why he should close out the show. You should make people wait to see your champion. Sit through all these other shit. Boom, here's your main event. If your world champion is not your biggest money draw, you ain't booking right. And it's that damn simple. And I don't care how much of a dream match Brian Danielson and Okada is. I guarantee you, 
Neither one of these guys draws more money than MJF or CM Punk. I guarantee they don't. If you say I'm wrong, prove it. But like I said, they put on a stellar match. But it would have been better if it was earlier in the show when the crowd was energetic. But what really helped out was that it was, there was a tap out. Brian did some kind of weird cross face strike, locked in the arm, did some kind of weird pretzel-like submission, and Okada had no choice but to give up. And they were shocked, and the crowd is almost silent. Like, it was a very flat victory. And then Brian gets to his feet, climbs the turnbuckle, celebrates, and the crowd finally gets back into it. And as the show comes to a close, Brian Danielson is celebrating. And again, in the long run, that's who needed to win. Let's be honest. Brian Danielson is a bigger star than Okada. Because Brian Danielson actually has a fan base outside of AEW. Okada is in the bubble. He is the New Japan guy, and if you're not a hardcore wrestling mark, you ain't got a shitting clue who Okada is. Hell, I'm a diehard wrestling fan. I barely know who this fucker is because I don't watch New Japan because it's all strong style, no sell, shit on the business bullshit. So I don't give a damn. I could give two squirts of piss about Okada. I don't give a shit. But him and Danielson did have a good match. And the AEW guys, most of them won and they should win. Because like I said, AEW is a more popular company than New Japan. Because most of the people watching this are AEW fans. There's not a lot of New Japan fans watching this. Now, there might be some who are fans of both, but as far as, like, exclusive New Japan wrestling fans that are watching this pay-per-view, not a lot of them are. So the AEW guys, they're the ones we're going to see on Dynamite and Rampage and Collision going forward. For a lot of us, New Japan's going to fuck off till next year. Because after this pay-per-view, I don't want to hear shit about New Japan. I don't give a fuck what happens in New Japan. The next time I see New Japan Wrestling is going to be at Forbidden Door 2024. Because I have no desire to watch anything on New Japan. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will conclude this recap of Forbidden Door. I thank you guys for tuning in. And uh, make sure you guys follow the Boochcast. We are on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio. Pick your favorite hosting site and follow us there. Or be a super fan and follow us on all four hosting sites. Also, like us on Facebook. Go to facebook.com slash theboochcast. We have archived episodes of the show as well as great content. Be on the lookout for the latest episode of the Male Soap Opera Moment coming out later this week as we give our predictions for WWE Money in the Bank set to take place this Saturday. So uh, myself, The Wens, and Desmond Dagenhart will be giving our predictions for Money in the Bank and you can check it out this week on the Male Soap Opera Moment. It will be dropping on the Boochcast Facebook page. Also, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Boochcast. Get the latest tweets, photos, and videos. Visit our YouTube channel. Check out all of our YouTube content and be sure to hit the subscribe button and ring that bell to be notified when future content will be posted. If you haven't already, go check out the latest episode of Boochcast Reviews Dark Side of the 90s, uh, The Rise of Rush Limbaugh. We finally posted that. This coming Thursday, uh, Y2K Paranoia Will Destroy Ya is going to drop this Thursday at 2 p.m. on the YouTube channel. And next Thursday, we're going to be dropping The Morning Show Wars. So we are officially done with Boochcast Reviews, Dark Side of the 90s. Check out the last of the episodes. One is out right now. The other will be dropping this Thursday. And the last one will be dropping next Thursday. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash theboochcast. That's where we do our live wrestling watch parties. Our next watch party will be Saturday, August the 5th for WWE SummerSlam. Make sure you join us for the biggest party of the summer. And while I was at Elvis's house, I did get a chance to talk to him and, of course, his lovely wife, Lee Marie, who I'm also friends with. And from the looks of things, we will be doing the SummerSlam watch party from El Casa de Delinsky. He's got a huge uh, gazebo patio area set up. I've seen the setup. I like it very much. So as long as it's not pouring down rain like it was uh, earlier tonight while we were watching the pay-per-view, as long as there's no heavy rain and the weather permits, we will be showing you guys that outside gazebo area as we live stream our SummerSlam watch party. And of course, we also have our live D&D show coming soon. 
soon, our Boochcast booking battle and another special project in the works. And of course, you can support the Boochcast by going to podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support. Become a supporter of the Boochcast. Support this podcast with a small monthly donation to help sustain future episodes. We have three levels you can donate at. Pick the one that works the best within your budget. We have our first level, which is $0.99, cents, $1 per month. We have our second level, which is $4.99, $5 per month. The same amount of money you would pay for a Peacock subscription. I know a lot of you guys out there aren't fans of the Peacock, so don't give them money. Give us money. We got better content than Peacock anyway. And we have the third and final level you can donate at which is for a mere $9.99 $10 per month the same amount of money we used to pay for a WB network subscription here in the United States ever since they sold it to Peacock got away to put that $9.99 so to that $9.99 bring it over here we got better content than network and unlike Endeavor we actually care about our fans and are dedicated to giving the people what they want you have the option of paying with your credit card or with GPay and the best part is all the money we raise goes back into the show in some capacity. We used to upgrade our equipment, we used to bring in bigger name guests, pay the bills, and take care of all the guys who work very hard on the air and off the air to make the Boochcast a success. So if you got a favorite co-host and believe they're going to be paid for their hard work, podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash the Boochcast slash support is how you make that happen. And then if there's any money left over, when that's all said and done, use the rest to feed Zachariah Scott his ramen noodles and try to get him laid. And until next time, this is Vinny Bucci, a.k.a. The Booch, saying keep on living life and take care. This has been The Boochcast. Talk to you guys next time. Until then, pizza, baby. Well, I see by the clock on a wall that it's time to bid you one and all goodbye. Goodbye. So long. So long. Farewell. Farewell. Adieu. Adieu. Be good. Stay well. Bye-bye. Keep warm. Relax. And eat. Take care. Stay loose. Adieu, mon vieux. À la prochaine. Goodbye till when we meet again.